What are you eating? <laughs> sometimes I think I'm a real adult, and then sometimes I just boil frozen peas and carrots and toss them in olive oil and salt. <laughs> okay, I feel less bad now about saying that I eat tuna packets as an easy meal. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Disgusting. <laughs> they're they're high in protein. They're delicious. <laughs> a little sandwich. You microwaved frozen peas. No. Oh, Alex. No, I didn't microwave them. I boiled them. And tossed them <laughs> in olive oil. And salt. And there's corn, too. It, I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know which one of you is more gross. <laughs> Your food choices. I don't know what you have against peas, but we have to move on. All right. All right. Getting right into it. Welcome to GovCast, keeping up with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research, and today we are recapping our 2023 Women Tech Leaders Summit, which was held last Thursday at the International Spy Museum. With me today are the moderators of the event, Editor-in-Chief Amy Kluber, Deputy Editor Kate Macri, Senior Researcher Sarah Seibert, and Staff Writer Researcher Anastasia Obis. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hey, Alex. Our annual Women Tech Leaders event is a favorite here at GovCIO Media and Research. And with our largest attendance yet, this year's edition was exceptional. We had speakers from the Departments of State, Veterans Affairs, Justice, Labor and Defense, as well as leaders from across industry. Topics included recruitment, mentorship, marketing and development, and to top it all off, we inducted six new leaders into our flywheel, Hall of Transformers. We've got a lot to cover, so let's dive into our first panel, which was our fireside chat on harnessing the current labor market to recruit government women tech leaders. Sarah, you moderated this panel. Who did you talk to? I spoke with the Department of Labor's Deputy Administrator in the Office of Apprenticeship, Megan Baird. So the Biden-Harris administration has made expanding registered apprenticeships a top priority. Apprenticeships offer a high-quality, debt-free, equitable, earn-while-you-learn model to apprentices. So these programs have potential to solve challenges at agencies and organizations that face issues with recruitment, training, onboarding, retention, in addition to helping create a more diverse and equitable workforce. Apprenticeship. Interesting. Sarah, what is that? Registered apprenticeship programs focus on a few key components that differentiate the programs from other workforce training strategies. So under these programs, individuals are fully employed by an employer and have paid work experience. They're also offered progressive wages and have access to on-the-job learning and classroom instruction, as well as mentorship opportunities. So these programs lead to an industry-recognized and nationally portable credential. Additionally, women apprenticeship earnings grew at a faster pace of 62% compared to women workers outside of an apprenticeship program whose growth earnings were around 19%. DOL also found that the pay gap closed substantially two and a half years after a woman entered a registered apprenticeship program. So to put that into context, before a woman started her apprenticeship program, their earnings were around 77% of a male apprentice. And then two and a half years later, it grew to around 92%. So in all of that, 
Baird explained that these stats have led evaluators to say that registered apprenticeship can be a solution to actually closing the gender pay gap, which I have never heard anyone say in uh, a little over two years on the job. So that was exciting to hear. Thank you, Sarah. Our next panel was Mentorship and Leadership Strategies for Building a Next-Gen Workforce. Kate, this was your panel. How'd it go? I thought it went really well, other than not being mic'd when I was about to go on stage. So moment of panic, but I think we recovered pretty well. I had a pretty big panel, and I thought it was really cool to hear from some very different perspectives on that panel. We had people across basically all like the sectors of government, like health and civilian and DOD, basically, and then also industry. So we basically covered all four categories. So I really enjoyed getting all of those perspectives. But I thought one of the most interesting takeaways from that panel was this discussion around demystifying and myth busting what mentorship looks like and making it more accessible and more approachable. Because I think that's something that's really important for women who are interested in pursuing some sort of leadership role or are interested in, you know, really advancing in their careers. Maybe they have like big ambitions for like being the head of a federal agency someday. I don't know. And sometimes it can be a little hard to have the confidence to go for something, especially if you don't see someone that looks like you in the position that you're going for, whether you're in a male dominated field or you're a person of color and you're surrounded by white people. <laughs> so I think it was really great to hear from different women on the panel about how you can seek out other women leaders to learn from, but also just have the confidence to go for something. I feel like this panel really was almost like a mentoring session in a way, which is what I wanted it to be. Almost like a preview into like what having a mentor would be like, because I felt like I had the opportunity to ask, you know, specific questions about, you know, like, what should you do? Like, if you want this or like, how do you do this? And I think all of the women on the panel really leaned into here's some practical advice. And I'm basically mentoring the audience right now. If I were in the government space, like an actual government employee or trying to be, I feel like I would need a mentor just to help me like apply because that application Seriously. process is not human. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I also liked that they differentiated between two terms that I think are often used interchangeably, which is a sponsor versus a mentor. Mentor being someone who like helps you work through specific career problems you're encountering or like kind of coaches you, I guess, to get you where you want to be in terms of developing your skill set versus a sponsor as someone who advocates for you and puts your name forward for opportunities or like tries to help you get like that next promotion or whatever it is. And I think sometimes those two different roles can be filled by the same person, but they don't have to be. And I thought that was a very interesting like line of discussion as well. Thank you, Kate. Our next panel was a first for WCIO Media and Research. We had lightning rounds with four speakers. Amy, can you tell me a bit more about this new format? 
this one was fun. We have a women tech leaders working group. And a lot of those members are really like charismatic and they had a lot of great ideas in the working sessions that we had. So we wanted to do this session that really put them kind of more front and center than just a traditional panel, like back and forth interview. So the lightning rounds basically had four really great leaders present an initiative of their choosing for five minutes each. And it was really cool. I feel like we got a better look at something more specific than just like general talking points. So we had the VA, we had FDA, we had FBI and the digital services director at CMS. So kind of a good little sampling of topics there. And first, the VA's chief strategy officer, she's Nicole Gilbride. She presented their personal pronoun project. I thought that was super interesting because she tied it to tech in a way. So the VA basically, and I think she said it was 90 days, they rolled out this new way for all its employees to be able to assign personal pronouns to their directories. And there was like that tech angle in there where they had to figure out how to incorporate into their help desk. So people who were having like tech problems, making it happen, they had to do all that for this new initiative. So that I thought that was pretty interesting. And now they're trying to work with the rest of government to maybe model the same effort to everybody. So that's pretty cool. She also had pink hair. I loved it. <laughs> and then we had Jessica Borellis. She's with the Office of Digital Transformation at FDA. And she profiled a new plan they are doing around leadership. And if you don't know right now already, the FDA is coming out with all these maps, which is an acronym, uh, Modernization Action Plan. So they have one for like data, they have one for tech, and they're going to have one for leadership. So I thought that was pretty cool that they broke out instead of it being so specific on technology, they broke it out into like specifically leadership and how they're incorporating more diversity and things in that. Another bonus was her daughter was in the audience. So that was awesome. She's a high schooler. So she got exposure to a lot of this really great energy around diversity and equity in the federal government right now. And also the FDA CIO was in the audience in support of this, Vid Desai, he's super cool. So really glad FDA had a good representation around this topic. And then we had Cynthia Kaiser with the FBI. She profiled a lot about why they're trying to change their thinking around diversity, because in the end, being diverse helps fight cybercrime. She said it in a way that I thought resonated very well, where she said there was no mold for a technologist or a cybersecurity specialist because there's no mold on the threat. And I thought that was so impactful because it's so true. You know, a technologist doesn't look one way because you have to have that diversity in order to know how to find all the threats, which change every day as we know. And then we had Andrea Fletcher with the digital service at CMS. She spoke on how they are advancing the health equity landscape. One of their biggest efforts is to collect data because without standards and collecting the data, you don't know where the problem is. So they're looking right now into a lot of things like Medicare access and um, mapping where all the problems are as far as who's able to access the tools to enroll in Medicare or file claims or deal with that whole process. And um, she called their efforts, she called it digital equity. 
And I thought that was super interesting because it's so like true, you know, they do a lot with like accessibility of websites and tools and basically all the data work and all the digital equity work they're doing right now is helping just make websites accessible for all. I just wanted to say that I really love Nicole Gilbride's blazer. I thought it was very cool with the leather sleeves and the drapey lapels. Very cool. Pink hair was also a win. One of my family members was like, when I was in high school, wear all of the cool makeup and like dye your hair, whatever color you want now, because you won't be able to do that when you're in the professional world. So Nicole's breaking down barriers in more ways than she knows. Next she, week, I'm showing up with different colored hair. <laughs> she did so, say that she used to dye her hair as a like a breast cancer awareness type thing after a family member had breast cancer. And I'm like, yeah, you can't judge pink hair. I mean... It's for a cause. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. One of my panelists complimented her blazer. So uh, we also had Melissa, who during our prep call, she asked about the colors of the event. And she had a really beautiful suit that matched our colors. So everyone was so fashionable. Well, speaking of your panelists, Anastasia, this was your second panel you've moderated during your time here. It was marketing the government mission. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so um, Amy mentioned our Women Tech Leaders Working Group. And during the working group, we talked a lot about how the government finds it challenging for one reason or another to tell its story. Um, And major tech companies do such a good job at advertising themselves as these exciting and interesting and dynamic places to work at. Uh, But a lot of innovative work happens in the federal government and people are just simply not aware of it. And the messaging kind of never gets out of Washington. So it's just kind of stuck in this in this echo chamber. Even my panelists talk about how the federal government was never on their radar prior to joining their agencies. So I was honored to be joined by four really incredibly talented women from different agencies across the federal government. We had Melissa Weiss. She serves as the Vulnerability Disclosure Program Director at the Department of Defense Cybercrime Center. They're relatively new but they've been the trailblazers in the space because they rely on the expertise of white hackers to search for vulnerabilities for the Department of Defense. Now that effort is being pushed further, but they were the trailblazers in the space. So we also had Margie Graves, who is a senior fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government. She has so much knowledge. And she's been in and out of the federal government for a long time. Devin Beard, she serves as the People Operations Director at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And we also had Dr. Renee Wiggerson. She is the ARPA-H Director. They're a new agency. They're doing incredibly innovative work. And if you haven't heard of them, go check out their website. But we talked a lot about what role the government mission played in their decision-making process. And of course, to no one's surprise, it's the passion for the mission at their agencies that drove them to join the government. So for example, 
Devin said that she was a military brat. So she really felt like she wanted to give back to her community. And she's been with the Department of Veterans Affairs for a really long time. I also thought it was important to address the pay disparity between the public and private sector. It's a really big factor in deciding whether to join the government. And I wanted to learn more about how the government agencies are addressing that issue, and especially for younger generations, because of the cost of living and the inflation and everything. It's just some people just can't afford taking a pay cut. So it's a really big deciding factor in whether to go into the private or public sector. So we address that. And uh, we also talked about how the government could do a better job at marketing itself and also specializing its messaging to attract people from different generations or to attract more women and to have more diversity. So really interesting. I don't want to spoil it all. Go watch it. Is it safe to say that your panelists agree that government has a marketing problem? Oh, yes. So for example, Margie, she was saying how, you know, how the government tends to limit its outside communication, and it becomes a detriment to being able to tell the federal story. And she was saying how there is a lot of really great work and a lot of good that is happening inside the agencies. And while the private sector is doing such a great job at advertising itself and posting on social media and getting that message out, federal government kind of limits its communication. And so a lot of people are just not aware of it. And yeah, they were talking about, you know, the outreach to universities and colleges, you know, so for example, Devin, she was talking about how it's important to start improving their external representation and kind of educating people on what the benefits are and what some of the education opportunities are that the federal government can offer, things like that. Thank you, Anastasia. Yeah, it's important to be out on social media and promoting your message and what you're all about, which is a great reminder for all of our listeners to subscribe to our various social media platforms, including our Instagram which we were very active on for our event. It's a great way, if you couldn't make it, to kind of get live updates on what was being discussed. So make sure you follow us there at GovCIOMR. Next, we had one of my favorite news segments, which is the Flywheel Awards. Amy, can you run us through the winners of this event's Flywheel Awards? So this event, we had two rising stars this time. That was Krista Kennard from the Department of Labor and Kristen Govich from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Both of them kind of are true to the rising star name, but they're doing some really incredible, impactful work around helping veterans access their care and benefits, schedule appointments, et cetera, and the technology behind that. And then Krista is just really big into data innovation and bringing in more automation to improve workflows. And then we had a really cool woman who actually was born out of our Women Tech Leaders Working Group. Her name came up. I had never 
heard of her before this because she was really big in the private sector and she'd only been at CISA for three months. Her name is Lauren Zabrick and she's working in the cybersecurity division at CISA. So Lauren, she was a prior Air Force intelligence officer and she does all this cool stuff around getting people more engaged in the workforce and removing things like racism and bias from the workforce with efforts like a hashtag movement that she started. So she was super cool. I'm so glad to have met her. She's our workforce champion. And then we had a digital transformer, Florence Casule from the digital service. She also brings a very human approach to acquisition. And sometimes I feel like acquisition gets a lot of attention as far as how it's being modernized to accommodate more quick technology schedules. But she kind of approaches it differently. It's more like it's less about the technical things and it's more about being a human about it, getting that human-centered design angle into it. So I thought she was really interesting. She spoke about that a little bit. And then we had our Women Tech Leader of the Year, who is Lauren Knossenberger from the Air Force. And I think that's like not a surprise that she's the Women Tech Leader of the Year because think of all the things that the Air Force kind of influenced across the Defense Department, but also outside the Defense Department. Things like Platform One, the Cloud Managed Services environment, and um, thinking around zero trust and DevSecOps. Like she just makes sense for this. And so I, I was really happy that she was on hand to kind of talk to us about what it means to be a woman in that kind of role. And then we had Dorothy Aronson, who was most recently CIO at the National Science Foundation. She received a Lifetime Achievement Award. And just like she made sure to point out, she's not done yet. So I want to make sure I say the Lifetime Achievement Award does not mean we are marking the end of your career. But over her career so far, she has made so many impacts at the agency. She's been there so long. And I feel like she brings a very human approach to her leadership. And it's more than just like tech. It's more than data. It's about like getting leaders built up. So I, I feel like she just fits for that award very well. And her mom was in the audience. <laughs> so congrats to all our winners. They're going into our Hall of Transformers now. I think it was really cool that Lauren Knossenberger got up there and highlighted the fact that all of the top cyber people in the Air Force right now are women, which I thought was such a cool like factoid. And also kind of highlights one of the reasons why we're giving her the Women Tech Leader of the Year Award, because she's really been on the forefront of some pretty big digital transformation efforts at the Air Force and also really across DOD because the Air Force has really been setting the tone for how DOD modernizes software development and her leadership with raising the profile of the software factories has also had like a huge impact and had a direct influence on DOD's software modernization strategy, which came out last year, which is a big deal for the joint warfighting cloud capability, et cetera, et cetera. She's just really been on the forefront of some really big shifts in how DOD approaches tech. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we decided to give her that award. Actually, Software Factories got a huge kudos from Nicole Gilbride on the lightning rounds session. She said that is one trend or whatever to look out for in the future that everyone's going to be having a software factory. I was like, yeah, yes. 
See, and Warren Knossenberger is a big reason why that's really like come to the, like the forefront of like government tech transformation because software factories, there were a couple of them that launched before she became CIO, but she's really the one who's like, she's like the leader who made this something for people to keep talking about and to keep investing in. Like she's the one who helped like carry it forward. You know what I mean? Which is like really what a good leader is supposed to do is not necessarily like come up with all the best ideas, but like recognize the best ideas and elevate them. Yeah, this really was an exceptional group of awardees and even more exciting that you can find them not only in our Hall of Transformers, but most of them have appeared on our podcast as well, which means I believe we only have two more of our winners who need to come onto our podcast. So uh, Lauren and Kristen, if you're listening, please send us an email. We would love to hear from you on GovCast, HealthCast or CyberCast, your pick. To wrap up our event, we had our closing fireside chat on developing the cyber workforce. Kate, you were the moderator. Who would you talk to? So I conducted this fireside chat with Caitlin Clark, who is the Assistant National Cyber Director for Planning and Operations. I think she was a great person to close out this program because she had a very down-to-earth and like perfect perspective on getting women into tech and specifically like government tech jobs because she doesn't have a STEM degree and her career has taken a lot of like different twists and turns and she hasn't necessarily worked with cybersecurity her entire career, but she did a great job explaining why women in particular, even women with liberal arts degrees who may not have tech expertise or some kind of STEM degree, how they can make a difference in the cybersecurity space and also why they're needed, which I think was really powerful. She really kind of called back to some things that Cynthia Kaiser was talking about in the lightning rounds, which is, you know, your background and your skills as they are, are needed in this space. So you really should be like trying to get into this space because we need more women in cybersecurity and there's a major cybersecurity workforce shortage. So come work for us, basically. But I really liked how accessible she made it sound. Like she really democratized this idea of working in cyber and government because I feel like a lot of the times, you know, like when the average person thinks about like having a cyber career in the federal government, like that sounds very removed and scary. And like you need to like have a bunch of certifications and special degrees and do all this there's like all these hoops you have to jump through in order for that to be a reality. And she was like, no, it's not actually like that. We actually need people who have these backgrounds and skill sets or like these different perspectives that you might think you don't need for a cyber career, but you actually do. So I thought that was a really great way to finish the program to really kind of inspire people to look into that and pursue that. And then, of course, she was also able to give us a little sneak peek of the cybersecurity workforce strategy, which the Office of the National Cyber Director is expected to release sometime this summer. So that was also exciting. I'm not going to talk about it here because you should go read the article and watch the videos from our event. That office is releasing so many new things lately. Like, it's very, very exciting considering it was brand new a year ago, you know? They have a lot of women in that office. That's all I'll say. Thank you, everyone, for that terrific recap of the event. 
Listeners can find recordings of the panels as well as in-depth articles on our website, govskiamedia.com. We'll be back with our next event, Health IT, in September, where maybe I'll get to host the Flywheel Awards again. But in the meantime, make sure you're subscribed to GovCast. And if you like what you heard, leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Amy Kluber. I'm Kate Macri. I'm Sarah Seibert. I'm Anastasia Elbis. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. 